The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. The eyes of Texas are upon a landmark opportunity for the Longhorns. Colorado, will they be able to handle all of the hype and the praise they're getting? And I'd like a do-over on dumb loses more than smart wins. This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, September 6th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel, College Game Day, as I'm sure you know, is the worst-kept secret in college football, is headed to Tuscaloosa for the Texas-Alabama game on Saturday, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. But before that, uh, even more great happenings surrounding the podcast. Five times this season, the Mercedes-Benz ESPN College Football Podcast Sprinter will be out on location. Jen Latta will be there to conduct some great interviews, and that will start this week on Friday as she talks to Tim Tebow. You're not going to want to miss that conversation with one of the legends of college football and tremendous commentator for us on SEC Nation. But it does compel me to say that because of some logistical things that you don't care about and neither do I, that part of the podcast will be delayed coming out. So if you don't want to be delayed in finding out who we've picked along with Stanford Steve, you'll need to subscribe to the podcast. And, and man, they tell me these numbers that we've been putting up have been tremendous, showing uh, consistent growth in the area. I don't know what the good numbers are. We do it because we love football and we love you guys and we want to talk ball. So what you need to do to make sure you get your picks in a timely fashion and also get all of your podcasts in a timely fashion, just click that subscribe button wherever it is that you like to get podcasts. Boom, picks will be there, and then you can wait a little bit longer, and the interview with uh, Jen and Tim will show up, as will the other interviews over the course of of this season. Five times it's going out. Pete, uh, I've completed all of that. And you know what? It is, it's been very gratifying, the response that we've gotten to the podcast, both from fans, uh, I know you have and I have as well, from various coaches, uh, different people in the sport. I mean that's that's why we do it. So this is uh, this is part of the fun. Might as well subscribe, right? Yeah, I think we're your favorite coach and favorite athletic director's favorite podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of SIDs listen, a lot of associate ads listen. So uh, we appreciate every single person who uh, who 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 takes the time. There is uh, you'll you'll appreciate this, Reese. Uh, Kate, Teddy, and I were in uh, a grocery store in Cape Cod this uh, this summer, and uh, somebody stopped me. And that happens to you quite a bit. It doesn't happen to me quite a bit. And uh, the guy was like, "Are you Pete Thamel?" And I was like, "Yeah." And uh, he was he was a pod listener, um, and he was very he was like twenty four, and he was hungover, uh, carrying like a chicken parm sub and a full Gatorade. And I was like, "Man." I remember those days. So our listeners are everywhere, uh, and uh, we appreciate them all. Last time that happened to me, a guy stopped me just recently and said, has anyone ever told you that you look just like Reese Davis? And I said, yeah, it happens all the time. And he said, boy, I bet that pisses you off, and turned around and walked away. And now, and now you have one of my opening jokes at, at various banquets and speaking obligations around. That, that will probably happen in the not-too-distant future, hopefully. Hopefully someone will use it on me. It hasn't happened yet. It probably will. But I, I use that a lot. And I hope that someone's listening. And next time you see me, go ahead and try it. And I'll give you an attaboy for it. 
You got anything good planned, Reese, for your alma mater? You got any friends back? You got any, uh, you know, I know sometimes you go speak to the journalism classes. It's it's always gratifying to go back to your alma mater and, and it's for such a great weekend. So I'm just curious what you have, uh, what you have lined up. I, I don't have anything definitive planned there. Always willing to do it. I'm, I'm getting in a little bit later on a Thursday night than normal. Do um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see Christopher play in a playoff game Thursday and then come in late Thursday night. Oh, very um, so that'll cool. be yeah. So that'll be a, a little bit different, but I'll be around on Friday. Um, I do have some. I do have some college friends. Uh, uh, one of one of the first people I met when I moved in at Alabama was a man called Ernie Johnseth. He was uh, from Pittsburgh. Moved in on on my dorm floor. We met, became became fast friends. Have been friends ever since. Honestly, drifted apart for a few years there, but we have kind of reconnected over the last few years. He's he's bringing a ton of people to game day on Saturday. The great thing about Ernie is that he moved south from Pittsburgh and loved it so much that he's never gone back. Now, he still loves the Steel City. He still loves the Iron City beer. Uh, he still loves the Steelers and all of that, but you know, fell in love with the state of Alabama and actually as recently uh, has just moved back to Tuscaloosa. So he and we'll have a bunch of friends there. So that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun on Saturday. Awesome. Morning. I awesome. I think he probably, I mean, being from Pittsburgh, he needs to meet McAfee, right? I would think so. I would think so. Tell us a little more about this playoff uh, series your son's in. I know he has had a gangbusters summer playing independent league baseball in Michigan. Uh, sounds like it's coming to a crescendo here. Uh, we got a little yeah. playoff run, huh? Yeah, I hope so. They um, they play Thursday night, and the way this league is set up, basically, you it's a one shot deal, sort of like the NCAA tournament. So, oh play. wow, yeah, he's uh, he's an MVP candidate. I think uh, if you look at the numbers, he's probably the leading MVP candidate. So, hopefully, that will happen for him. That'd be a nice thing. But either way, he's had a tremendous year, and we're rooting for the Birmingham Bloomfield Beavers to uh, survive in advance and continue to move forward. Uh, throughout so yeah looking forward how to many that. rounds uh are the players uh three yeah three three okay. three potentially gotta gotta win three games to win it so uh so like so we'll thursday saturday that. monday thursday friday saturday oh wow so, they, they let them uh, rip up there huh yeah no, no yeah, off thursday, days. friday saturday <laughs> so yeah so it'll uh it'll, it'll it'll get get moving quickly once once they get started so we're looking forward to that tracking friday night in uh, tuscaloosa at the hotel yes there will be there there will be uh (laughs) hopefully so and my uh my daughter's uh coming to tuscaloosa with me too because even though she's an nyu grad she is a uh, devout alabama football fan so she's she's wanted to go to game day she's been to game day a number of times over the years but she's never she's never been to game day in tuscaloosa so, so she's excited about that. So we're looking forward to that. That's right. Your son roots for Auburn because your wife went That's there correct. and your daughter yes. roots for Alabama. A That's true correct. divided house. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, it's fun around Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That way. So it's been, you know, and a cool thing to show you, you know, the love of this sport that goes on. Um, Saturday, Christopher didn't have a game. So while Auburn was playing UMass, he and his mom were FaceTime and watching the game together at the same time. So that was, uh, that was fun. Although I got a text from Christopher in the, um, in the middle of it, there was a moment of divided allegiance between Auburn and the Avon Old Farm School for Boys when Tyson Pumachan went in the end zone and maybe gave the Minutemen the lead, I think. And, uh, 
he, he just texted me, strike the drumhead, which is one of the things they say at AOF. So, uh, anyway. I really hope you get a kickback. It's too bad there's no more tuition for you to get a discount on because well, they, cer- they would certainly owe you that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, joke, I joke about it a lot because, you know, people on the outside aren't familiar with the New England prep school culture. There are some misconceptions on the outside if you're, you know, if you haven't been involved and certainly with something. I didn't grow up understanding understanding at all, and just it was such a good experience. Uh, both both AOF and Miss Porter's for my daughter. It was um, you know a great a great thing for our family, and met so many uh, really cool people that that care about others, make an impact, help uh, help develop young men and women. So that's one of the reasons. And plus, it's plus it's fun to say that people people sort of get um, you know they sort of get blown away by the names of the schools and stuff like that that are uh, and th- you know what the the funny thing is Christopher's team name in this independent league the Beavers AOF's nickname the Winged Beavers not Winged oh. Beavers I prefer Winged Winged Beavers Winged Beavers interesting yeah, the Winged Beavers I, I think our our listeners in the south and midwest that don't get the exposure to the prep school culture and they just read about it like you know, because congressmen have gone there and stuff like that. I would say this, the campuses of those places. So I went to Avon for a prep school event for hoops two years ago. Um, Campus, unbelievable. I went to a uh, satellite camp at Dexter Southfield, just outside Boston. Mm -hmm. I mean, these places are monsters. Like they are beautiful, you know, like just the, I guess the infrastructure at those places and just what they, what they look like. And it, they are, there's just some unbelievable. I've been up to Andover. There was a great prep school run at Tilton a few years back when they had Nerlens Noel and all those. So I've, I've seen a lot of these schools just covering it. They're, they're just like really, really elite, elite special places. And uh, a lot of them have be, you know, made concerted efforts to become really good at sports. Cause isn't Avon's quarterback now committed to Georgia? That's correct. Yeah. Um, yes. I, I haven't worked on his pronunciation yet, Pete. I think it's Ryan Puglisi, maybe, or I think, yes, I don't know if I, I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yes. But yeah, he's on, everybody was recruiting him. And that's, that's probably the difference from where I grew up. And there are certainly exceptions to this rule. I'm not trying to cast aspersions at the public school mm-hmm. competition in New England. But because of the ability to recruit, bring in players from both oh, yeah. in the state and across the country, the level of competition across all sports is a little bit higher than in, in your typical public school, public school in New England. And that's why you've seen recruiters flock there. Christian Wilkins uh, played mm-hmm. at Suffield Academy, yep. which is a, a rival of Avon's, and, you know, just for one example. And then, you know, we've mentioned uh, Regani, the receiver at, at Iowa, and a number of other guys from different places. Uh, Joe Testator's son, John, played at Boston College. Yep. He played at Choate. Uh, you know, so there are a number of them, but enough of that. And on to a guy who was also impressed with the campus at Avon Old Farms, but less impressed with the walk from the field to the locker room at Duke and certainly unimpressed with the walk from the field to the locker room at Duke after a mind numbing 28-7 thrashing at the hands of the Blue Devils is Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. Now, before we spin ahead to the weekend, which we should. I kind of wanted a do-over on the dumb loses more than smart wins from last week. Typically, when I do that, it's more about just making 
making mistakes that can't happen mentally, mismanaging the clock, forgetting what down it is, dropping the football on the way to the end zone, whatever it might be. Clemson fits the category, but it was more it was more an array of physical mistakes and ineptitude on the goal line that cost them, you know, cost them points. They ran a thousand plays in Duke territory in the second half and didn't score any points. The only points they scored was a result of a Duke miscue. Duke wasn't, Duke didn't play a game for the ages by any stretch of the imagination. And they, they still came out with a decisive victory. So I would say that Clemson's turnovers, particularly in the red area, the, the inconsistency of their receivers, the drops, the sort of uh, semi-panicked, not panicked, uh, frenzied play from uh, Klubnik at times all contributed to this, uh, makes him a candidate for finding a way and, and dumb loses more than smart wins, making, uh, making the mistakes that they made the most important factor in the game. I don't mean that to take anything away from Duke, who played their tails off, but I thought it was more about Clemson's mistakes and sort of alarming the way they played. Yeah. Uh, what was, I think the stat was in the second half, they didn't uh, punt or score. That's right. They just turned it over, turned it over every time, which is like hard to do. Um, or to or not shank the field or, goal or something. Yes. Know? Yes. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, they, it was, well, I'm going to start by complimenting Duke and, and I don't, I don't think you Absolutely. negated that, but I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to echo, uh, I'm going to echo that from where Mike Elko took that program over to where it is now has been a masterclass in rebuild. Um, Clemson did not outclass Duke in talent, in speed, uh, on the outside it, it, like they have in, 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 in many previous seasons. So and then Duke played to their strengths. And quite frankly, we see it all the time in college football. Duke did not beat themselves, right? Like that's, they that's tried. such a, they, yes. they tried a couple they, of times. Yeah. Yes. There were, there, yes, it was not perfect. Yeah. They did. The Blue yeah. Devils did not play the perfect game, but I just think that speaks to how far this program had come. And uh, the scene at the end, Reese, with the stadium emptying out, we talked on the podcast about channeling Cameron energy into Wallace Wade. Um, the Blue Devils, I believe, go Lafayette home, Northwestern home at UConn, and then Notre Dame comes to Duke September 30th for what I would think could be the biggest game in like modern Duke history. Um, I, Duke made the poll, I know. If they keep climbing up, that could be like a top 15 clash, which is, again, David Cutcliffe had some snippets of really good work there, and I don't want to discount that, but boy, oh boy, opportunity is, uh, is, is splayed out here for, uh, for, for Elko and that, uh, and that crew. And uh, what did you think of Riley Leonard's professor? Would you have given Riley Leonard the break on the uh, homework assignment? It was on Good Morning America this morning. So, you know, it, it had cut through. Yeah. You you have to man. I mean, not only break on so. he probably deserved he probably deserved a B plus for writing his name correctly after that performance. You know, <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I I I give I give him credit. If they're not going to give Riley Leonard a break, they better not give any basketball players a break. That's the uh, you know that that that's where I would uh, where I would distill it to. Well, speaking um, speaking from some experience, 
there's a different level of culture on that on that campus from basketball players to the rest of the athletes. So <laughs> I've got well, that's little, how Billis got through. I got a right? little experience in that realm <laughs> too, by the way. So, but anyway. <laughs> but how fun Um, is it to have duke like vibrant and relevant like that's just what makes the sport great you just like we we sit around reese and we talk about where we might go for game day and then the actual results happen and the conversations come in completely different directions like last year we were at app state in what week three yep yeah so it just wasn't even on the radar yeah oh my god like wouldn't even have been in the in the conversation and quite frankly like a certain uh, a certain city uh, a certain scenic city in Colorado has surged onto the radar for uh, for very obvious reasons, which is great. Like it couldn't be it couldn't be better to uh, you know to have to have the conversation uh, around that. So God, you know, God love this sport. It, it's still even though the the geography has shifted and some of the power paradigms have shifted, it, it still can deliver the the delightfully unexpected. Since we're talking about Duke quarterback Riley Leonard and just how good he was against Clemson, let's make him best in game because he was. Best in game is brought to you by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. Before the season started, Pete, and I think I copied you on this, I I put out a game day planner for the entire season, both uh, objectives that we wanted to accomplish, things that I thought we needed to improve on, different areas of emphasis, different ways we could maximize our uh, array of talent, both on camera and off. Another part of it was that I listed potential game day sites and some other games of note for the entire course of the season. But at the very top of that document, I listed Power 5 schools where game day hasn't been and their best home games, meaning their best opportunity to host game day. Now, there are a few of them on here that I was like, well, because I've created this category, I have to go through with this, but this will never happen. The third entry on the list is Duke versus Notre Dame, 930. And how about that? Wasn't Illinois on there too? Illinois, Illinois is on there twice uh, next week against Penn yeah. State and then against Wisconsin third, uh, third Saturday in October. So um, those are a couple that are on there. Same day, Syracuse and Clemson. But I think, um, I think Duke might have bumped Syracuse out of the pecking order. And certainly there's a long way to go. And there's a trip uh, to UConn. And then there's how Notre Dame performs both against North Carolina State this weekend sure. and against Ohio State in a couple of weeks. It could impact all of that. So, you know, I'm not trying to uh, foreshadow or lay out a wink, wink. We're coming to Duke, uh, coming to Durham, your city, coming to Bull City. Um, but it's at least, uh, at least it's at least within the realm of possibility all of a sudden. The fact that you noted that Notre Dame might not be good enough to hold their weight for a game day at Duke is a kind of a mind-bending conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, now they very well may be. Uh, maybe no, they, you know, they well maybe. could be, and they they've certainly played well. I mean, it's it's hard to be pessimistic about Notre Dame from the oh, their yeah. first two results. I mean, Sam yeah. Hartman's flinging it. The O line looks great. Uh, some of the young receivers have stepped up like they needed. That was the I think the big question mark. So. Um, but they haven't been to the cauldron of Wallace Wade yet. They have not. The team, uh, nor have cauldron. they uh, been to Carter Finley, uh, the nope. vast inferno that that could await them there. And we'll also find out. You know, I think one of the really interesting things about that game is the fact that Sam Hartman 
has thrown six interceptions in his last two games yeah. against that Tony Gibson defense. But it was such a different offensive system at Wake Forest. I, I wonder just how relevant that is. But it's one of the games that, that we'll talk to Bill Connolly about coming up, as well as uh, some reactions to what has happened in this first full week of college football, football which has given us a, a lot to talk about. And I'm not sure what a weekend like week one, what impact that has on algorithms and spreadsheets and numbers and power rankings and SP plus. But for answers like that and what we might expect this weekend, not only from Notre Dame, North Carolina State, Texas, Alabama, Nebraska, Colorado, we welcome in the great Bill Connolly. Well, Bill, before we dive into uh, how the realities uh, matched with your spreadsheets, we need to let our listeners know we've had some mob themes here recently on the podcast. And Reese and I both value our working knees and joints, and we don't like horse heads in our bed. So therefore, can we just let the listeners know that debts have been paid at the Bard Owl in Columbia? Bard Owl Butcher, baby. Um, yes, yes. I, I got a, a lovely Venmo deposit that will go to uh, a nice trip to Bard Owl as soon as the wife and I kicked the virus that the sixth grader brought home from school last week. <laughs> Welcome back to school. That's what. <laughs> oh I'm my happy. god! It took it, like a week and a half, and and it was we're already toast. It was it's it's a record here in the Connolly household. <laughs> Very nice. Well, we will when when you do uh, get better and hit Bard Owl, we will need to know, and we will need some pictures for, oh, for yeah. internet posterity of the. Uh, Copious amounts of meat consumed uh, at, uh, at at Bard Owl. Uh, yeah, the Wagyu, the Wagyu's calling my name. I just, uh, you know, ooh. need to not be contagious. I guess. All right, very, very nice, very nice. Yeah, if if kale was involved, we would be very disappointed. We might rescind our <laughs> generosity, uh, but well earned and hat tip to you. So, Bill, when you look back at Week One, I'm very curious. Like, what result was completely off the radar compared to what your numbers dictated? Like what, what was the anomaly? Like in, in, in how do we account for it? Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest one was Texas state over Baylor. Um, okay. I think the fact that I think it was, there were five humongous differences between like projections and outcome. And three of them involved teams that had like 20 plus transfers or, yeah. or way more than 20 plus. Um, I think that's, you know, moving forward, you can't just say more transfers equals you know, quality because, you know, Arizona State certainly didn't show just a ton of quality last week uh, and other teams didn't. But it, it, the volatility, um, the variance that is introduced by bringing in that many newcomers, I think is pretty immense. And so when thinking about results or, you know, pr- predictions for future years, yeah, I mean, the Colorados and Texas states of the world, I'm still really uneasy with the idea of booting over half your roster when you walk in the door like we finally gave players a little bit of freedom and then we're going to basically say like you're entering the portal your your free portal trip is over um but <laughs> on the field it's going to introduce a lot of variance and and outcomes like what we saw for both Colorado and Texas state um now it was one one outcome so i'm trying really really hard not to jump to conclusions about either Colorado or Texas state being awesome this year, but that one was enormous. That was like a 42 or something like that point difference between the projection and the, uh, and the outcome of the game. And, and when you watch that game, it looked like Texas state was almost as talented as Baylor. Um, and that's thanks to the portal. So that was the biggest thing. I think um, otherwise, one of the things I always noticed that gets me yelled at on Twitter a lot um, in the first week 
is, you know, my numbers love the games where you play a bad team and treat them like a high school team. Um, you're blowing, treating a bad team like it's a horrific, worst college football team ever means something a, a lot of the time. It has predictive value, even though we just look at it and we're like, you know, well, they ain't played nobody yet. How do we know? What I'm saying is Oklahoma beating Arkansas State 73 to nothing might have meant something. They were, huh. they were Dominant. I mean, that was 35 nothing after like 18 minutes. Um, Arkansas State is hopeless, but not everybody else is on the schedule is going to make them look that hopeless. Um, so they're they're really. I'm I'm very curious about Oklahoma now. They mm-hmm. probably in the blowout category. They exceeded projections more than than anybody else, um, and and that can have predictive power. That's you know it's it's funny. A couple things happened in that Texas State game. GJ Kenny after a good job at Incarnate Word last year, suddenly burst under the radar if he can sustain a little success and they have another opportunity against UTSA this week. But the other thing you said that's interesting that I agree with, Bill, to some degree, is that this transfer portal turnover offends the nostalgic sensibilities of those of us who've grown up loving college football. However, (laughs) However, it is a business, and now that is laid bare. Players are making business decisions to transfer up, transfer over, take a better NIL deal, and good for them. That's that's all fair and good. But if business is always a two-way street, and if the two-way street is that the new coach comes in or a coach is not uh, pleased, you're not working out, well, then you, you might get sent to the portal. So while I wish it wasn't that way, and when we had Kirby Smart on this summer, he said they put an emphasis on – trying to identify guys who fit their program and aren't as likely to enter the portal. And their goal, I think Kirby said, if memory serves, was to retain 85%, you know, to have less churn in the program. I think we wish that everyone could do that, but everybody's not Georgia. And sooner or later, Georgia's going to have a little bit of that too, because when you accumulate the level of talent that they do, guys want to get on the field sooner, maybe they can't, and, and they move on. So I agree with it in sentiment, but there's the pragmatic side of me that says, hey, man, this is a business and a two-way street, and the players are free to find their spot, and the coaches are going to do it, and the guys who handle it best are the ones who are going to win. And that brings me to the next thing. I'm one of three voters in the AP poll who put Florida State number one. Now, I already had them number three, so it wasn't some big jump. They've played the transfer portal beautifully. What did your numbers tell you about where the Seminoles rank after that performance against LSU? Yeah, I mean, they were, I think in the, where did they start? 15th. They started 15th um, Mm -hmm. in part because of of iffy special teams last year. And the fact Mm -hmm. that SP Plus didn't really love their offense last year because it didn't start it didn't blossom until about halfway through the season. They were in the forties, I think in offensive SP plus in mid October. So the fact that they surged from there only got them into like the twenties. So they started only 15th, a little room for growth there. And and now they're at 11th after, after that performance. It's funny with, with my numbers, sometimes one team falls more than the other team rises. LSU fell out of the top 20 (laughs) and FSU only rose a, a few spots, but clearly what we saw in the second half there. I mean, that was what I wrote about this on on Monday morning was just that this is what title teams do. They minimize, they mitigate the damage of their mistakes and their poor runs um, as Florida State did in the first half. Lots of penalties, lots of drops, all those things, but a couple of fourth down stops bought them time. And then when they actually clicked, 
It was touchdowns every time in the red zone after that first drive of the third quarter. It was uh, they they maximized the damage of their their good run, and so I think you know they're at eleventh right now. They'll keep rising if they play like that because they were that that was a legit performance that we saw there. So I'm curious the the portal conversation to me and and before you jumped on Bill Reese and I were talking about Clemson. Clemson has been portal allergic, <laughs> portal averse, portal like I would imagine quantified numerically they have used the portal in the lowest one percentile of yeah, oh yeah. Uh, of of programs. And I do you guys feel like like la- like Monday night becomes the hard stop. Like we watch Sunday night, we watch all these wonderful transfers. Fentrell Cypress, the corner transfer from Virginia on Florida State has a huge PBU. Keon Coleman has like a iconic performance that could launch him <laughs> into becoming a first round pick. Um, Jared Verse, a second year transfer, rushes off the edge with uh, alacrity time and time again. Uh, I can go on. Braden Fisk had a, had a great game, the Western Michigan transfer there. And it seems like, like Mike Norvell put the frosting on the cake with these transfers, right? He's baked a great cake over three years. They've been patient with him and deserve credit for that. The transfers have done that. Where Clemson, you, I could have told you, you don't need to watch <laughs> the film or break it down to know that they haven't had great skill on the outside for two or three years. I just, yeah. do we feel like this model for Dabo is sustainable or is this a way too late wake up <laughs> call that he needs to start changing and accentuating his roster, um, it, you know, as the modern game evolves? I mean, it it should be. I don't know that it will be. I mean, he finally acknowledged the need to change his offensive coordinators and kind of modernize there. But as we saw from some interview clips in August, his he, the first thing he told Garrett Riley was, I want to keep running the ball. Like, don't hire Garrett Riley. Hire, you know, Kirk Soraka or something and, <laughs> and really lean into that instead of uh, acknowledging your need for change, but then trying to change as little as possible. That, that was a that was not a Garrett Riley offense that we saw. That was the same run the ball and nibble with the quick sideline passes that don't really go anywhere. Now, Garrett Riley had better receivers at TCU, which is, which is to your point. And, um, and, and so maybe that was all it was, was they just didn't have the matchups they wanted. Um, but if you don't have the matchups you want against Duke, no, nothing against Duke. Like that was a very well coached team with a very clear plan, but you're going to play just in terms of recruiting rankings or whatever else, you're going to play a lot more talented defenses than Dukes. And if they were able to just basically say, we don't, we're not afraid of your receivers at all. Uh, we're going to pressure them and we're going to tackle really well. A lot of other teams are going to do that same thing. So it's a whole, there are a lot of aspects of Davos 20's program that are outdated right now. And, and, you know, he was supposed to modernize his offense uh, over the off season. And what we saw on, on, Monday, either because of modernization or talent, it was not anything different than what we saw last year. A couple of thoughts strike me about Clemson. I don't think he has to go to the portal. I used to argue with David Pollack about this all the time. Now, he probably needs to to accentuate. As crazy as this is going to sound, they need to recruit better on the outside and cast yeah. a wider net. Now, I think what has happened in their recruiting philosophy is they target guys, and when they don't get them, then sometimes they're not in position to to backfill with the same, you know, a near a, a comparable level of player. That and that has caused some of the drop off at wide receiver, in my judgment. They haven't been great on the offensive line in a really long time, if ever. They've always had these uh, virtuoso quarterbacks who've been able to cover up their sins on the offensive line, or they were just good enough. 
you know, or they were so good on defense that, you know, that the offensive line right. thing became less of, a, of an issue. But I do think he has to make a choice. He either has to cast a wider recruiting net in order to upgrade the talent at the spots that you guys have identified, most notably wide receiver and offensive line, and or find it in the portal. And so that's an either-or yep. proposition. Either way, it it bears it bears looking into. I'm not going to throw dirt on Clemson yet because while Duke outplayed them, Duke deserved to win. There were some weird things in that game. The, the, the fumbles, <laughs> yes. the fumbles yes. on the goal line, you know, maybe changed the game. You know, it looks as if they have Riley Leonard stopped, and I'm still not sure how he squirted out, and there was nobody there to to tackle him. You know, great play by Leonard, unusual play. You know, the the shank blocked field goal, whatever it was. There were a number of plays like that. So I'm not throwing dirt on Clemson yet. But I do think it was pretty apparent from week one data that Florida State's more talented than they are, you know, and yep. pretty much across the board, you know, with a, a few exceptions here. I mean, the young defensive linemen for Clemson are really, really good. But, you know, they're they're playing a little catch up <laughs> to a team in their own conference now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's you don't have to go start signing 20 guys, 20 transfers by any stretch of the imagination. But it's just what a lot of elite programs have done, even Georgia, uh, with with a couple of receivers mm-hmm. they brought in. They've been able to basically say, we're still going to go sign, you know, four and five star guy freshmen for the most part and develop them from within. But when we have a hole to fill, we're going to fill it. And um, like two good transfer, one good transfer receiver would have made a really big difference uh, the other night. So. Yeah, like there's, I mean, they're still going to be too talented for a lot of the teams on their schedule, but that was the way they responded to the the self-created adversity there uh, was not very encouraging. They've got a lot of work to do. And now they have a couple of, you know, Charleston Southern this week and FAU, which, I mean, Tom Herman at an underdog program is going to make things kind of difficult for you for at least a little while, but they should still win those games and build some sort of confidence before Florida State comes to town. And that FSU game, I think, is really interesting, Bill and Reese, because it's going to be hailed as the changing of the guard. But <laughs> but let's let's wait till they actually change yes. the guards here, right? <laughs> like let's let let let's not just give away games in Death Valley to folks, right? Like that, I they had a forty game home winning streak until South Carolina, and that means they've got a pretty robust ACC home winning streak still still there. <laughs> so I just I I don't think. I didn't see like a program that flatlined. I saw a program with issues, mm-hmm. but you know they, they probably should have lost that game by a field goal. So um, <laughs> when you, when you dig into the weirdness, and Dabo had a great quote. He said it was the weirdest game he'd ever been a part of. And look, this is why we love football. It's completely baffling sometimes. It makes no sense sometimes, and that's great. Like, but I am uh, I am certainly not ready to, uh, to to dig a grave for for Dabo and the boys. Um, Especially if you've ever seen that team run out of the tunnel at Clemson, like that, or down that hill at Clemson, that's you know that that is that is an atmosphere where you have to be unflinching to go in and win. And remember, this Florida State team had a three-game losing streak last season, yep. so they are not infallible. They are better. They are masterclass in roster polishing. Um, they're great on both lines. I, I'm bullish on them. Reese and I both picked them to go to the playoff, but I'm not. I'm just not ready to coronate them and you know insert them in a. In, in one of those four spots in a Dallas uh, conference room yet uh, in December. Just just remember, yeah, they, by the way, the weirdest- they haven't beaten Clemson in seven tries. They haven't won at Clemson <laughs> since Jameis Winston led them to the national championship. And I said before the season that 
they probably wouldn't sweep these September games and might not even sweep Clemson. But, you know, now they've got a little little margin for error, a little room to play with after after the win over LSU and in both regards. Now they can't lose both games to Clemson, but they could they could lose in Death Valley. And then if those two were to meet again yep. in the ACC championship game, you just have to win the important one or the more important one. Both are important, but the more important one. Yeah, by the way, the weirdest Clemson game ever was them uh, against Alabama in the 2018 title game where they where Alabama won more plays in the game and Clemson won by 28 points. That was the weirdest Clemson game ever. Yeah. Um, the, winning every single third down in the game. Every one. Yeah. Plus, yeah. The pick, plus the pick, plus the fake field goal. That was that was strange. But anyway, that's I digress. I, I, remember, uh, I remember standing on the sidelines of that game with Lee Corso and – he, he just kept imploring, not that he was rooting, but wanted Alabama just to give the ball to Najee Harris. You know, <laughs> he was like, give it to him again. <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, but third downs won the day there, as they often do in big games. Uh, and Clemson did not win enough of them in Wallace Wade Stadium. I want to ask you, Bill, about Colorado. Colorado and Nebraska, <laughs> longtime rivals. Uh, Colorado historically, and I'll go over this on game day Saturday. Colorado historically has announced its arrival by whether it can beat Nebraska. Now, it's a different era now, and Nebraska is <laughs> not anybody's measuring stick right now. But I would imagine your numbers, again, with the transfers, hard to figure it out, especially with the number that Colorado yeah. has. Um probably looked more favorably on Nebraska prior to the season. And now Colorado has landed this giant victory. How did you account for it? And what does that mean that you will expect on Saturday? So when I put out the SP plus rankings on Tuesday morning, I basically said like, I'm just going to stick a Colorado watch section in there because you know, what I pointed out was it took about three weeks for, for SP plus to figure out USC last year. Like I knew heading in that they were, they were too bad the year before they were projected too low and it was going to take a little while. It took about three weeks and then it, it had a good read on USC. Uh, might take a little longer here because Colorado was projected to improve by more than any team in the country heading into the year because of the way I tried to account for the transfers and the, and the talent upgrade. And they were still, they still started out in the eighties um, and they're still in the high eighties now, despite having risen uh, on offense more than almost anybody after week one, besides like Texas state. So they are rising quickly. It's just, you know, I still take last year into account um, and they were 126th out of 131 teams last year because they were they were just so brutally miserable. So that said, SP Plus says Nebraska wins on Saturday. Uh, I, I'm not p- predicting that myself, but I do think it's an interesting reminder. Among other things, only the Colorado offense played well. Um, and Nebraska's defense played almost as well against Minnesota as Colorado's offense played against um, against TCU's defense. So that's going to be really interesting. That was low, Minnesota's lowest per play, or like 3.6 yards per play or something that were since 2017. Oh, wow. uh, it, took, it took two extremely – it took Nebraska realizing halfway through the fourth quarter, oh, wait, this is, this is where we have to fall apart, and then immediately committing two turnovers <laughs> for them to lose that game. Um, they have a knack so, for that, Bill. <laughs> it's really hard – it really, you can just feel it, especially in in a very packed home stadium. I think. Oh no, wait, it was in Minnesota. But um, you can. Just, it, there's just a feeling that emanates when you've lost so many close games. It, it takes forever to kind of overcome that, and that's what we saw 
um, against Minnesota on Thursday, but their defense played really well. And, and now there's actually a little film on Colorado and it might not matter because Colorado's offensive talent, the guys we knew were going to be awesome when they came to town or at least good, you know, Shadur Sanders, I didn't, wasn't sure what he was going to be capable of, but he was going to be good. Travis Hunter was obviously going to be good. Horn and Weaver from USF were very, very good at USF. So it was kind of predictable that those guys would do well and they did, but now we'll see what happens since a, a team might actually have, you know, a little film to analyze. I think Colorado probably wins it, especially in what I assume is going to be an amazing atmosphere in Boulder. But I think Nebraska is going to be able to land some punches. And as bad as Nebraska's offense was against Minnesota, Colorado's defense was equally bad against TCU too. So um, it's I, I, I lean Colorado, but I, I, I'm not expecting some sort of blowout or anything. So, Bill, we're uh, we're a little bit pressed for time here, and so I wanted I, I we would be, we would be full of regret if we didn't get your take <laughs> on the. Uh, on the Longhorns and the top <laughs> small intercollegiate tackle football contest in Tuscaloosa this weekend. Uh, our, our, uh, our fair television show that chronicles uh, intercollegiate tackle football will be there. <laughs> um, can Texas do it, Bill? Give us the answer. Um, I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm picking Alabama, of course. But um, mm. the way they controlled the line of scrimmage last year, um, they can do that again. They, um, I wasn't as impressed as I expected them to be. Or as, as I expected to be watching them play Rice last week um, on the lines, but they if they can control the line of scrimmage, you know, Jalen Milrow, he had just a fascinating game against Middle Tennessee the other day. You can see exactly what they want to do, which when you've got kind of a Jalen Hurts looking guy in the backfield, um, you know, you run and run and throw sideways passes and then destroy them deep. That's the kind of the the loose plan. He basically threw two intermediate passes all game. It was like three deep shots, a whole bunch of little sideways passes and two incompletions, uh, you know, just in that intermediate range. Texas, so we didn't find out everything we needed to know. And Texas will make him complete some of those harder passes. Um, And and so I like I love this as a test. I mean, Alabama, I assume, is going to win because they pass most of the tests they're given. But they are going to seriously test uh, whether Milrow really does have the staying power. He looked like he had last week against Middle Tennessee. He, he's crazy talented. The Jalen Hurts comparison is a good one with this. I wouldn't even say this is not an exception. Jalen Milrow is faster than Jalen Hurts, yeah. but not that Jalen Hurts yeah. is slow. He's not by any stretch. Jalen Milrow can fly. The question is going to, will, will they confuse him? Will he get into the right checks? Will he have the line protection right uh, in order to allow them to run the ball some? You know, I know Middle Tennessee stunts a lot and stuff like that. What did you think of Alabama's offensive line play against a, a lesser opponent uh, in the run game, particularly? Yeah, I mean, it passed whatever test I had. Like they they ran efficiently. No no big plays besides one good Milrow scramble, basically. Um, so it was just basically stay on schedule there, and then you know you know hit them deep a couple of times. So we we'll have to see you know if they can. Big plays are so huge in a game like this, uh, just in terms of the easy points they create. And and in Alabama, uh, in the run game, the sideways passes, those things weren't really going anywhere. Um, it, so if they didn't go anywhere against Middle Tennessee, they're probably not going to against Texas. So that'll be an interesting test. I you know I try to aside from when an OU beats Arkansas State by seventy something, I try to you know the bar is pretty low. Just say right. like okay, yeah. you pass that test and move on. They pass the test, um, but. 
they didn't make a ton of big plays outside of three specific deep balls, and you know they have to they'll have to prove a lot more. It's a bigger test now. But the three the Too three bad deep balls help. Bill. You know, I mean, <laughs> oh, sometimes, sometimes you, yeah, it's hard to you keep getting stuffed up there, and sometimes that allows you to hit those shots. And he didn't right. he didn't miss his chance. Yeah. I think the guy, I think the guy's got a chance to be a star. Uh, you know, yep. he's not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. But they've done a really – Tommy Reese, those guys have done a really good job with him. Uh, his quarterback coach in the offseason has, has done a really good job with him. Um, and he's he's crazy talented. And he looks close to winning the team, which is the number one yep. uh, criteria that criterion that Nick Saban looks for in a quarterback. Now, that yep. will be evident on Saturday night, whether he solidifies that, wins the team, makes the right call or, you know, opens the door for one of those other, one of those other quarterbacks. The other thing too, is the injuries in the Alabama secondary and Quinn Ewers um, inaccuracy last year downfield, which wasn't evident against Alabama uh, necessarily in the game before he was injured. Yeah. But you got to think middle did the same thing. Middle took a shot early in the game. Texas is going to take shots at at the corners, whoever they are, even, even Kool-Aid. You know they'll they'll take shots, and I think that's going to be interesting too. Yeah, that was um, one of the most interesting things about um, the Bama Texas game last year. Was you know I, I've been p- piecing together my Friday preview, and one thing I noticed was in passes twenty or more yards downfield. Um, he was against Alabama and then against Oklahoma when he came back from injury. He was four for seven in those games in those really downfield shots. He was eight for forty one against everybody else. Um, and he, in there, in those three late losses, he was four for 25 on those. So what's real? Um, we're, you know, we're into his second year starting. We have no idea what's real here. Um, and, and surely a second game against Alabama will start to tell us something. How how about this stat, uh, Bill and Pete, uh, over the last 10 seasons, 277 power five quarterbacks have attempted at least 40 passes 20 yards downfield or further. Quinn Ewers is the only one without a touchdown pass on any of those attempts. You got to think that sooner or later, he he's going to hit one of those. And for Texas fans, Saturday night would be a really, really good time for, for the first. Well, couple. even yeah. remember the one in the end zone in Austin last year yeah. that went through the receiver's hands right at the base of the goalpost. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that yeah, was two bad worth, secondaries. I think that was worthy too. Who I, I'm pretty sure. I think it was. It was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I think who can exploit the secondary vulnerabilities ends up winning this game. Yeah, agreed. Because neither uh, Kool Aid's great, but neither <clears> one <throat> to six in the secondary. You know, when you really start third and longs and all that stuff, n- none of there's a lot of questions. Those are I think the the definitive weak points in in both uh, on both teams. Maybe. I, I agree with you, corner, and maybe maybe he'll look like a freshman uh, Saturday night. But Alabama's got a star at safety at number two, Caleb oh, yeah. Downs, that freshman, oh, yeah. mm. Josh's brother, mm. yeah. and Gary's son, yeah, who no, I've he's... said on this podcast before. I covered Caleb's dad when I was working in local television in Columbus, Georgia. Gary Downs was an outstanding running back for the Spencer High School Green Wave back in the day before uh, going on to play at NC State and uh, played NC State and played in the NFL. But they could play for the Giants, I think. I'm not positive about that. But um, anyway, good bloodlines there for the Downs family. 
Yeah. No, he's in the Alabama building. He's like a rare entrant. Like the the buzz about him was unique. And they've obviously had a lot of dudes, a lot of secondary dudes, quite frankly. Like, and he, they really think he stacks up. uh, He stacks up well. Minka esque. Dare, dare someone say there. Like Minka Fitzpatrick. Hey, Bill, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for the, thanks for great insight looking ahead to these games on Saturday. Love, love your numbers. I hope you enjoy the barred owl. Oh, it's, it's just the best. I I hope we see you out there soon. Get well, get over the virus that the, that the kids brought home and (laughs) and we'll talk to you next week. That is the great Bill Connolly. You can see all of his stuff uh, on ESPN.com. If you want to be smarter about football, read what Bill Connolly writes. He's, uh, exhaustive in his analysis and a review of what happens week to week and also in the previews of what's coming up this week. Uh, Pete, that was a lot of fun. About time to make some picks, which we will do on the Friday edition of the College Game Day podcast when Stanford Steve joins us. I tried to attach the moniker of West Coast Duke Steve. I'm not sure that's caught on yet, but it made me chuckle a couple of times um, with Stanford's move to the to the ACC. Steve will join us on Friday to make all of the picks. Look forward to uh, seeing everybody out at College Game Day in Tuscaloosa Saturday morning, 8 o'clock Eastern time. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. Download wherever it is that you like to get your podcast, or better yet, just subscribe. That way Pete and I just wind up in your feed like magic. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening.